0: What do you think about when you hear the word evangelism? If you were, I guess you'd say raised like I was, or the way evangelism was taught, uh, your mindset goes to standing outside of someone's house, knocking on the door so that they will hopefully let you in. and You can lead them down Romans road or show them the four spiritual laws or something along those lines. Uh, for those of us that were raised this way, we were taught that this was evangelism. Now, that sort of evangelism is great so long as you have a very outgoing personality or you're gifted as an evangelist. My dad is a person who you could give him a pocket Bible and some tracts and drop him off in any neighborhood in the world and he would give out every tract in his hand and talk to everybody that would answer the door. Uh, But not everybody's wired that way. So if you're not wired like my dad, or if you're not a naturally gifted type of an evangelist, then what also goes along with this thought on evangelism It is probably an upset stomach, nervous hands, sweaty palms, all of these extreme fear that would go along with this because this is not the way that we're naturally wired in order to share the gospel or talk about Jesus. And also along with that probably went the idea that if you're not gifted and you're not wired to share the gospel in that way, you kind of were made to feel like a second class citizen. Right? Because all believers, we're all meant to share the gospel. Now that's not, that's not in question. Jesus calls us and he takes us and makes us into fishers of men. That's a, that's a part of all of us as disciples. But when we're taught that that's the only way you do evangelism and you can't or you're not really good at that or you're not gifted that way, you kind of feel that evangelism is a terrifying and a terrible thing. It is a something most people feel guilty about. We we know that we should share the gospel. We know that we should talk to people about Jesus. But we don't. And so we feel a deep sense of, of guilt uh, that, that never really goes away. Because we don't ever really get out and go knock doors like we were taught to do. But I, I want to propose that there is more to evangelism than knocking doors or handing out tracts or, or something along those lines. I think that we're supposed to see evangelism as something that is exceedingly rewarding in our lives. I think we're supposed to see evangelism as something that is exciting, that we look forward to do, something that's exhilarating, that we enjoy, that when we're done, we feel that was great, that was amazing, I want to do more of that. And I believe that not only... Can or is evangelism supposed to be those things? I believe it can be, regardless of what our gifting is, or how we're naturally wired, or how nervous we get to try to go and talk to someone. Because ultimately, evangelism is nothing more than trying to introduce someone to Jesus. I mean, that, that's ultimately that's all we're trying to do. We are trying to help someone come to know Jesus, and as we do. What happens is God, I mean, think about that. The God of the Bible works through us. And when they come to Jesus, it makes an eternal difference in that person's life. I mean, that's an amazing concept. I mean, they are never the same. Right? But all of the things that we talk about in the Bible, about being a new creation, old things have passed away. God can work through us. To do that in someone else's life. To make that kind of a significant change. Not only in, in their life right here. But also in their life in the world to come. But it's not even just that person. right? who knows how many other people that person is going to impact for Jesus. Who knows how many other people they're going to share the gospel with. How many other people they're going to lead to Jesus. And so eternal destinies are changed. When we surrender to the Lord and we let Him work through us and lead this person to Jesus. Evangelism, it is working with God in an effort to make a difference in the world around us. And when we see it like that, that is exciting. That is rewarding. That is something that is, is exhilarating. Yet something we should recognize from this is that evangelism, it can't be an event. Right, it's not Thursday nights we come and we go out and knock doors. Right? It can't be a program. Evangelism is kind of meant to be a way of life, that we we live an evangelistic lifestyle. That's what we see in Scripture. You know, the idea of evangelism being an event or a program, it comes from what I would say is a misunderstanding of the Great Commission from Matthew twenty eight, eighteen through twenty. Jesus says, go into the world and make disciples of all nations. Now, along with the idea of going and knocking doors and handing out these tracts was the idea that the Great Commission was go and everything else was incidental. You you go and everything else just kind of is underneath that. The reality is the focus of the Great Commission is on making disciples, not the going. In fact, the Great Commission passage, it could be translated as, As you're going, make disciples. Right? Not, not go and pass out tracts, but as you're going through your life, look for opportunities and take advantage of those opportunities to try to make disciples of those that you come into contact with. Now, when you look at Scripture, this is clearly what you see. Think about Jesus How many evangelistic crusades did Jesus schedule? But how many times did He send His disciples and say, Go gather me a crowd, and when the crowd gets gathered, I'm going to come out and I'm going to speak. Well, none. How many doors did Jesus knock? How many times did He walk through Jerusalem knocking doors and handing out tracts and doing things like that? None. What did Jesus do? Jesus... Mostly was investing in his disciples. And as he went through his life, opportunities came up. He, was, he went to a well to get something to drink and lo and behold a woman was there. And he took that opportunity to talk to her about Jesus. Over and over again that's what Jesus did. As he went, he looked for opportunities to invite people to know him. And when those opportunities arose, whether it was in a one-on-one situation or whether it was in a crowd of people, He took it. Think about in the early church, in the book of Acts. How many evangelistic crusades did the disciples hold? None. You know, they never went out and said, Okay, go gather a bunch of people in an auditorium. And while they're there, we're going to stand and, and preach. How many doors did they knock? None. What they did was they went through their lives. And they were going to the temple to pray. And there was a guy there that was paying attention to him. And so they looked at him. And the guy wanted money. They said, hey, we don't have any money, but here's what we can do. In the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. And the guy leapt and sang, singing and dancing and thrilled that Jesus had done. And the people said, hey, that's that guy that was crippled at the gate beautiful. What's going on? Peter said, listen, it's not that I did it. It's what Jesus did, right? There was a crowd... But the crowd gathered sort of naturally, organically, as he was going through his life. He was just going to the temple to pray. And an opportunity arose for them to invite people to know Jesus. That's what we are to do. That's what it is to live an evangelistic lifestyle. And when we look in the New Testament, we can find several principles That will help us live an evangelistic lifestyle. We we can't cover everything we would see. But there are seven that that I found that I think are most important uh, for us to, to develop in our lives to have. It's not as long as it sounds. The first is to love God and love others. In many ways this is the foundation of everything else we'll talk about. An evangelistic lifestyle It must flow out of a deep love for God and for others. But if I were to ask you what is the great commandment, you could answer. The first of all commandments is, Hear, O Lord, the Lord our God is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, with all thy strength. It's the first commandment. The second is like it. Namely this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There's none other commandment greater than these. Now, it's a familiar passage. You won't spend a lot of time other than to point out the general aspects about love here. Love God, first and foremost. We, we love God. There is only one God, the Lord our God. The Lord is one. Since there is only one God, He is worthy of all of our love and all of our devotion. And one of the ways our love for God will be expressed is in seeking to introduce others to Him. Right, But it's done out of, out of love. We love God. And so I want other people to know this God that I love so much. But when when our desire to introduce people to Him is motivated by our love for Him, it will be a desire of our heart and not a a hardship to endure. think Think about with your spouse. But maybe when you were first dating, especially, and you introduced them to people, was it a burden? you be like, oh, I guess I better introduce them to my my girlfriend or my boyfriend. I mean, the first time Kelly went with me to a family reunion, I, I walked her over and introduced her to everybody in that room. Not because I had to for fear she'd break my legs if I didn't, but I wanted them to know this person that was so important to me. Or think about with our kids. We want to introduce people to our kids. Is it a burden? Oh, I guess this is my kid. Little brat, can't stand them, but oh, here they are, you know. Is that how we after our grandkids? Now think about like a new grandparent. Think get these new pictures. Is it a burden for them to say, look at this picture of my kid, my grandkid, look at this? That's kind of the, the picture of a way it ought to be as we seek to introduce people to Jesus. We love Him. We love Him. He is significant and important in our lives, and because of that... I want you to know Him as well. But not because if I don't, He's going to break my leg. Not because if I don't, He's going to punish me. But I love Him and He's awesome. And I want you to know Him and love Him too. But then we, we love God, but then we also love others. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Now that's similar to what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount about doing unto others. As you would have them to do unto you. So let me ask you this in this way. Knowing what you know about Jesus, who He is, what He's like, eternity, heaven and hell, if you were lost, would you want someone to leave you lost in your sins, or would you want someone to come to you and talk to you about Jesus? If you would want someone to come talk to you about Jesus, that in order to love others as you love yourself, to do unto them as you'd want done unto you, you, you must tell others about Jesus. We're doing it because we love them. And when love is our motive, it's noticeable. I read a story a couple of years ago about a lady who had just converted to Christianity. And when she came to church for the first time, her reasoning for going to church was because the person that invited her really seemed to care about her. It wasn't because it was a big church. It wasn't because it was a cool church. It wasn't because of the music or the preaching or the location. The person who invited her to church genuinely seemed to care about her. And so she went. Love is the motivator behind all of it. Though I speak with the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I become as a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. If we don't care about people, we do no good. But if we care, if we love, people can tell. And that, that matters. Secondly, we have to recognize the absolute lostness of Humanity. We, we have to recognize, if we're going to live an evangelistic lifestyle, that all people apart from Jesus are hopelessly, absolutely lost. Right? Not some people, not most people, not those people, all people. Right? Two passages, one in Ephesians, and we won't talk about them all long But And you who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in times past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation, our lives in times past, the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But all people, according to Paul, who don't know Jesus... They are walking according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now works in the children of disobedience, and that, that all people, even those who were saved at one time, we all walk this way. Right now, the, the, the constant repetition of all is significant, because this includes the good moral person. Very likely, you and I know someone who has no need for Jesus in their life. But they are a good moral person. They love their spouse. They care for their kids. They're they're concerned about the community. If your car breaks down, they will loan you theirs. But apart from Jesus, they are the children of disobedience. And they are the children of wrath by their very nature. Their morals. Their kindness. It doesn't deliver them. This includes our family members. And this is where it really gets to the nitty gritty. It is easy to say those people out there. Who don't know Jesus. And don't see any for Jesus. Are children of wrath by their very nature. But my, my family. My cousins. My, mother, my brother. My children. My grandchildren that don't know Jesus. They are just as lost as those people out there. But right? if they don't. Embrace Jesus as Savior. They are as lost as someone that worships Allah. I mean they are no more close to God. Than a member of Islam is. And we have to understand that. This would include our friends. Our neighbors. And anyone that we would know. Or to come in contact with. They are by nature lost. And separated from God. This is a a rule without exception. There are no exceptions to the lost apart from Jesus' rule. Right? And another passage that hits on this even more. But if our gospel is hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. Those who don't see a need for Jesus are, are lost. Paul says. The word lost carries with it really the idea of of perishing. They are spiritually dead. They are headed for a devil's hell. Satan has blinded their minds. He is working in them to make them, preventing them from seeing their need from Jesus. So anyone, again, no matter who they are, that does not see a need for Jesus, they are lost. They are perishing. They are spiritually dead. And in some ways under the influence of Satan. This is true whether it's an evil, wicked sinner. Or a good moral person alike. It applies to those that we don't know. And those that we do know. It applies to those that we can't stand. And those that we love dearly. It applies to all people everywhere. If we are going to live an evangelistic lifestyle. We must be totally convinced about this. We cannot start making excuses for this person or that person because of our feelings toward them or whatever other things we may come up with as to why they're the exception to the rule. They are not. The evangelist R.A. Torrey, he said, these things are not pleasant to think about, but they are true. And we ought to think about them until our souls are on fire to save people from the awful condition of utter ruin in which they now are, and from the destiny of eternal shame and despair to which they are hurrying. So, first, love God and love others. Recognize the absolute lostness of humanity. Thirdly, be a person of prayer. Those who live evangelistic lives also live prayerful lives. But as one person said, we not only plead with people, For God, we plead with God for people. Now we'll look at this more in depth probably next week as a part of our monthly prayer service. But for tonight, let me just give you five quick areas of prayer to help you live an evangelistic lifestyle. Pray for opportunities. Paul says, with all praying also for us that God would open unto us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ for which I'm also in bonds. Pray. For an opportunity. Now this is again where lifestyle. uh, And evangelism of lifestyle comes into play. This isn't praying to go knock a door. This is just as I go through my life. There will be opportunities. Let there be whether. Lord as I go through my day tomorrow. There is somebody that maybe you want me to share Jesus with. Open up a door. Have Let there be a spiritual conversation arise if I can share. Or if there's someone in particular that we want to reach for Jesus. God, tomorrow as I start my day or this week, give me an opportunity to to talk to them about Jesus. right? So pray for opportunities. Pray to share Jesus clearly that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. We'll talk a little bit later tonight and more on later about the the message that we share. The gospel message is ultimately... Not that complicated. It's fairly simple. And we want to pray that we would not muddle it up and we would not confuse those that we're trying to reach with unnecessary jargon or unnecessary theology that doesn't really bear on the time of salvation. Pray for the Holy Spirit to help. But You shall receive power if the Holy Ghost has come upon you and you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts. One of the primary ministries of the Holy Spirit to a disciple of Jesus is to empower us to speak the word boldly and clearly and effectively with others. Pray for boldness. And now, Lord, behold their threatenings and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness we may speak thy word. We'll have an entire lesson later on common fears and how to overcome them. But for now... Just take comfort in the example of the early church who prayed for boldness to overcome their fears so they could speak the word of life, the message of Jesus. That's great. And and even we would find that with Paul. All of the kind of the New Testament people, they prayed for boldness. Because the fear of sharing the gospel, of having that conversation, it's very real. So we need God to give us boldness. And then Pray that God gives the increase. 1 Corinthians 3. I've planted. Paul has watered. But it's God who gives the increase. This is should be a very freeing thing. About sharing Jesus. So it isn't our job to save people. We don't save anyone. All we do. Is we plant a seed. Or we water a seed. But it's God who makes that seed sprout. And grow. So what we do is we. We share, we water, and then we pray. God, let what we've shared, let what they know, let what they've heard, let it take root in their heart and let it bring forth the fruit of salvation. If we want to live an evangelistic lifestyle, we, we pray and we keep on praying. And as we pray, expect God to answer because all of these are God's will. I mean, God God wants each and every one of us to share the gospel. He wants us to talk to people about Jesus. He wants to make us into fishers of men. So it is God's will. So if we pray, pray expectantly. Uh, love God, love others. Recognize the absolute lostness of humanity. Be a person of prayer. Live under the Lordship of Jesus. Jesus is Lord. It is probably the earliest creed of the church. But it wasn't just a snazzy saying. It was a statement of reality. It meant Jesus was ruler over all things. And not just all things out there, but but all things in here as well. When the early church declared Jesus is Lord, they were saying they had surrendered their lives to Christ to do whatever it was He wanted them to do. For us to say Jesus is Lord, it's the same thing. When I say Jesus is Lord, I'm saying He's not just... Lord out there over the circumstances. And that gives me comfort. But He's Lord over this. My heart, my life, my mouth, my my thoughts, my attitudes, my actions. So that He can command me to go and to do whatever it is He would want me to do. If Jesus is Lord, I can't make a statement like I'll do anything but. Because the minute we put a but in, we're showing that we're not living under the Lordship of Jesus. We're saying, Jesus can can tell me to do things I want to do and things I like to do, but anything that's, that's this but, I'm not going to do that, then Jesus isn't Lord over that. A huge part of, of living under the, living an evangelistic lifestyle, it is living under the Lordship of Jesus. And, and I want to show you why that's important. Right? Not just because Jesus is Lord, and when we put the but in we're being disobedient, not just that, but I want to show you what can happen. What God can do, what Jesus can do through us when we surrender to His Lordship. Turn to Luke chapter 5 page 784. It should be in your pew Bible if you have one of those. Luke 5 and the first 11 verses the the coming of the first disciples. It says that it came to pass that as the people pressed upon him to hear the word of God, that he stood by the lake of Gennesaret, and saw two ships standing by the lake, but the fishermen were gone out of them and were washing their nets. And he entered into one of the ships, which was Simon's, and, and asked him that he would thrust out a little from the land. And he sat down and he taught the people out of the ship. Now when he had left speaking, he said unto Simon, Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a drought. Simon answering said unto him, Master, we have toiled all the night. "...and have taken out nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word we will let down the net." And when they had this done, they enclosed a great multitude of fish that the net broke. And they beckoned unto their partners, which were in the other ship, and they should come and help them. And as they came, they filled both the ships, so they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, "...Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord." For he was astonished and all that were with him, at the drought of fishes which they had taken." And so also was James and John, the sons of Zebedee, which were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to them, Fear not, from henceforth you shall catch men. And when they had brought their ships to land, they forsook all and they followed him. Now this story shows us one of the first lessons that Jesus taught his disciples about evangelism. right? Because we see in verse 10, that's the point. You'll catch men. This is the whole point. Everything he was doing here was leading to what would happen if they followed him. They had... They would fished all night, and they had caught no fish. And Jesus said, Let out into the deep, drop your net, and you'll be able to catch a fish. Now, I'm not a fisherman, and I certainly never fished on the Sea of Galilee, but in the Sea of Galilee, those who commercial fished, you fish at night, and if you don't catch anything at night, you don't catch anything. The water was hot towards the top, and the nets couldn't go down deep enough to where the water was cool where the fish were. You had to wait till it was night. When the water was cool all the way, and the fish would come to the top. Now, Simon, a fisherman, would know. They had fished all night, they had caught no fish, therefore they weren't going to catch any fish. But Jesus said, push out into the deep and let down your net and you'll take in some fish. And Peter said, we've fished all night and we've caught nothing, but at thy command, O Lord, we'll do exactly what you've said to do. And there was this miraculous catch of fish, so much that the nets were breaking and two boats were sinking, which is a lot of fish. And the point of that in verse 10 is, because they were afraid, from henceforth thou shalt catch men. You shall be a fisher of men. So ultimately what Jesus was teaching them about evangelism was, was do what I say when I say it. Don't, don't, don't tell me what can't be done. Don't tell me what usually is done. You just trust me and do what I say and I'm responsible for the catch. And so when we talk about living under the lordship of Jesus and doing His will, it's not just because not doing His will is disobedience, but because had Peter not launched out, he would have missed an amazing thing that Jesus did. What do we miss out on when we won't follow Him and share the gospel? When the opportunity arises and we know that the Lord is saying, talk to them. Tell them about me. And we don't because we say, well, I'm not a good speaker. I don't have all the answers or, or I don't feel called to an evangelist. What do we miss on God doing through us? Because we aren't surrendered to the lordship of Christ. We have to live under the lordship of Jesus to live an evangelistic lifestyle. Fifthly, see souls and not sin. See souls and not sins. Now I wasn't sure exactly how to word this. Whether to word it as see souls and not sins or be soul conscious. But, but either way the idea is essentially the same. Be aware of the souls of people. Through the years I know I've told multiple times the story about D.L. Moody. The story is somebody went to Moody and they said, Why is your ministry so successful? Why do you reach so many people for Jesus? And he took him to the door of his, or the window of his hotel room, and he pointed out to a, a park, and he said, What do you people see? And they just saw people. They saw people playing with their dogs and all the kind of things that you do with a park. And they said, What do you see, Mr. Moody? And with tears in his eyes, he said, Souls. Precious souls that'll spend eternity in hell apart from Jesus. Moody was never more like Jesus than when he gave that answer. Because as Jesus, Went through his life. What Jesus saw was not the sin. But the soul of the sinner. Now think about Zacchaeus in, in Luke chapter 19. Right? Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector. And he was very rich. To the average Jewish person. There were not many people that were worse sinners than tax collectors. Not only were they working with the oppressive Roman government. In what was considered to be a traitor type position. But they also oppressed their own people in order to line their own prophets. They were cheaters as well. He was a chief tax collector. So he was a boss over tax collectors. And he was very rich. So he had oppressed many people in Jericho. And yet when Jesus went to Jericho. He didn't see Zacchaeus the tax collector or Zacchaeus the sinner. He saw Zacchaeus, the son of Abraham, Zacchaeus, the soul that needed saving, that he could save. Samaritan woman in the well at John 4, who had been married multiple times and was now living with a man. Jesus didn't see her as an immoral woman. He didn't see her as a Samaritan. He saw her as a soul that needed saving. The woman who washed His feet with her tears and dried them with her hair from Luke 7. Jesus knew what an immoral woman she was. And the the Pharisee whose house He was at even said if He knew, He wouldn't be a holy man by letting her touch Him. But Jesus didn't see her as a sinner. He saw her as a soul that needed to be saved. In Luke 19, 41 and 42, He weeps over the entire city mere days before they crucify Him. And as He looks at this people who reject Him and are going to violently murder Him, He doesn't see their sin. He sees them as souls that desperately need salvation. And over and over again we look at Jesus and that's what we see. Jesus sees souls, precious souls, that will spend eternity in hell apart from Him. Over and over again Jesus shows us he knows the value of a soul. We we look at this verse often with the thought of a personal level. What man, what is it a man profit if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his own soul? But on a personal level what that means is if I gain everything that this world has to offer but lose my soul in the process, I've made a bad business decision. Because my soul is worth more than anything. Not just any one thing this world offers, but everything this world offers. There is nothing that this world offers, even all of it combined, that is worth as much as a human soul. But we also we need to see it in an evangelistic sense. The people around us, that's how much their souls are worth. But that's how much their souls are, are worth. If we're going to live an evangelistic lifestyle, we have to, to look beyond the sin and see that soul that has an immense value in the sight of Almighty God. And, and what, I mean, what do, what are the odds we're going to lose something as we try to reach that soul for Jesus? I mean, what is realistically, In America, in Guymon, Oklahoma, what is the biggest thing we're going to lose as we try to reach them for Jesus? We're not going to lose our life. right? I mean, there's a 1 in 10 gajillion chances that we're going to lose our life in Guymon, Oklahoma for trying to reach someone for Jesus. But, But let me say, even if we did, Paul would say that he's willing to suffer the loss of all things for the sake of God's elect, that they might obtain salvation. So Paul would say, even if we lost our life, in exchange for the soul, it was still a good trade. But that's not what's going to happen. What are we going to lose? We're going to lose a moment of comfort, aren't we? we? We might lose a bit of a friendship for a while. We might lose some respect in their eyes as we talk to them about Jesus. But what Jesus would say is, their soul is worth more than that moment of discomfort. Their soul is worth more than the friendship. Their soul is worth more than, than their respect. Their soul is worth immensely more. And if we, if we keep all the things that we have in this world and they lose their soul because we never approached them about Jesus, we have made a bad trade because their soul is worth more than all of those things. So love God, love others, recognize the absolute lostness of humanity be a person of prayer live under the lordship of jesus See souls not sin be patient this is hard but there is not much that we'll do as disciples of jesus that requires as much patience out of us as trying to reach someone for jesus few people ever come to jesus the first time the gospel is shared with them i mean just think about in your own journey Raise your hand. If the very first time someone shared Jesus with you, you were saved. Not me. I was raised in church, heard the gospel of Jesus my whole life, I, yet I, I was 19. It took, I'm not going to say 19 years because I probably didn't understand it as a baby, but the first time I remember someone truly telling me about Jesus was my granny Doolin at 10 years old. It took nine years. Nine years, the very first time I remember an actual gospel presentation applying to me. Nine years of my grannies, my mom, my dad, preachers, my Sunday school teachers. It takes time. Very, very few people are ever saved the very first time they hear about Jesus. Part of living an evangelistic lifestyle is not giving up because someone continually rejects Jesus. We can't give up even when it seems that we're not making any progress. Living an evangelistic lifestyle would be easy if every person we talked to about Jesus came to Jesus the very first time we talked to them about Jesus. Everyone would live an evangelistic lifestyle if that was the case. But it's not the case. That hasn't been my experience and I'm pretty sure that has not been your experience either. But Jesus, He taught us this. Herein is the same true one soweth another reapeth. I send you to reap one upon you bestowed no labors. Other men labored and you entered into their labors. The story, there's a whole herd of people coming to Jesus and his disciples because of the testimony of the Samaritan woman. And they're going to get to lead a lot of people to Jesus. And yet they did no hard work. Most believe that John the Baptist and some of his disciples, some of John the Baptist disciples had gone through that region and preached about repentance to kind of prepare their hearts. They had done hard work, and now the disciples were going to get to do hallelujah work, is what I've heard it called. So in our life, living an evangelistic lifestyle, we have to do both. We have to do hard work and hallelujah work. The hard work is where you sow and you see no fruit from it. That's hard work. Because if you care about somebody, again, that goes back to love. If I'm just walking up to a random person, I mean, I don't like it that they reject Jesus when I share the gospel with them, but if I love them, if I care about them, well, it hurts. It's hard. To see the seed set on the top of their heart and bear no fruit, knowing knowing what eternally awaits for them if they don't repent and believe. It's hard. But we do the, the hard work over and over and over again. But if we do the hard work long enough, eventually we get to do the hallelujah work. Which the hallelujah work is when we get to to reap the harvest. That's when we get to lead them to Jesus. That's when we get to say, lead them in a prayer and show them how to come to Christ for salvation. It's been my experience that, that realistically we do more hard work than hallelujah work. Now there may be some people who are especially gifted as evangelists and that's not their way. It's not been my experience. In my experience, we we share and we pray and we share and we pray and we live right and we pray right and we talk about it and we plant seeds and we do all that we can. And then maybe, years down the road, we get to do some hallelujah work in their life. Or we get to do hallelujah work in somebody else's life and we still do the hard work in this person's life. We just do it over and over and over. But I'm absolutely convinced that we'll never get to do hallelujah work if we're not willing to do the hard work. But if I'll only share the gospel with someone, knowing that they'll be saved, I'll never share the gospel with anyone. For one thing, you'll never know. You never know if anyone's going to get saved. You have no idea how they're going to respond. So we have to be willing to do the hard work, or we'll never get to do the hallelujah work. But if we're faithful to do the hard work, and are not weary in well-doing, in due season we... We will reap if we faint not. Eventually, those who do the hard work get to do hallelujah work. But if we quit, if we give up, we miss out on what God could have done. If we're going to live an evangelistic lifestyle, we have to be patient. And then finally, if we love God, love others, recognize the absolute lostness of humanity, be a person of prayer, live under the lordship of Jesus, See, souls not sins, be patient. And then finally, know and be able to explain the gospel. Know the gospel and be able to explain the gospel. When you read the book of Acts, they knew how to lead someone to Jesus. They knew how to start where people were and take them to Jesus. They knew the gospel and they knew how to explain the gospel. And that's kind of what we have to do as well. We, we have to know the gospel. Now there are a lot of ways to explain the message of Jesus. And in a few weeks we'll cover this more in depth. But for now, what we need to know, what I want you to know, is just the basic elements of a gospel presentation. This passage gives us a, probably the clearest picture of just what the gospel is. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how Christ died for our sins according to Scriptures, he was buried and he rose again on the third day according to the scriptures. Rest of the elements, first Christ. Jesus is the message. And, and that's, a, that's a key thing because there are all kinds of competing messages in our world. There are all kinds of things that people want to get off on. Or think about the woman at the well. The woman at the well asked Jesus, said, hey, you Jews say that on this mountain, or you Jews say Jerusalem is where you're supposed to worship, but we. We say on this mountain, where are we supposed to worship? Jesus didn't really get caught up into that discussion. He kind of took it back to what was really important, right? There's a, there's a theme there. People will say, well, well, what about, what about homosexuality? What about, what about abortion? What about Donald Trump? What about this? What about that? None of those, none of those are the message of salvation. They need Jesus, right? So when they bring up these other things, what about this in the Old Testament where the donkey talked? Well, let's not talk about that right now. What you've got to deal with first is what are you going to do with Jesus? right? Jesus is the central message. But not just Jesus. right? Not just Jesus, the, the good guy who said turn the other cheek, but Jesus died. Jesus died. I mean, that's, that's an essential element to the message is that not just Jesus existed, not just that Jesus talked, but that Jesus... Died. The death of Jesus is the central message of Christianity. When Paul went to Corinth, he knew one thing among them. What was it? Christ and Him crucified. For a year and a half, that was the message Paul preached. That is, if that's all that we did every time we gathered here, that would be faithful and that would be enough. Jesus died, but He died for our sins. Because he didn't die because religious leaders were old-fashioned and crotchety, and they didn't like his more progressive methods of expanding the kingdom. He didn't die because of judgmentalism and he didn't die because of those who were trying to hold back progress. He died for sins, that we have to cover that. We have to explain that yes, Jesus, and yes, he died, but he died for for your sin. And my sin, our sin, put Him on the cross. When it comes to sin, this is going to be a hard part of it, we cannot be mealy-mouthed when it comes to sin. If they say, are you saying that my doing this is a sin? If the Bible says, thou shalt not, we cannot waffle and say, well, I don't want to say what, what you can or can't do. Well, I don't think that's God's best. What we have to say is that's what the Bible says. The Bible says, Thou shalt not, then, by golly, thou shalt not. And we compromise and we water the message and we do damnable things wrong when we get mealy mouthed in regards to sin. Jesus died for sins, according to Scripture. But the, the, the Bible is always the foundation. Not our feelings, not their feelings. Not our opinions, not their opinions. Not free will Baptist doctrine, not Methodist doctrine. The Bible. We always come back to this is what the Bible says. Jesus died for our sins according to Scripture and He rose on the third day. The resurrection is Just as central as His death. Without the resurrection, His death means nothing. So there has to be a a real explanation that He really did rise from the dead. There is an empty tomb. It, It wasn't a spiritual resurrection. That's not a faith event. It's a real thing. Jesus literally, bodily rose from the dead. That has to be a part of our message. And once we have clearly explained the message of Jesus, we call on them to respond to Jesus because the message always demands a response. Biblical response is repent and believe. Turn to Jesus and place your trust in Jesus. And that's how we do it. Those elements must be there and then we must call on them to respond. If we don't say you need to repent and you need to believe we have not faithfully shared the gospel. These are the basic elements of a gospel presentation and there's all kinds of ways to adapt it to the particular person that we're talking to and we'll talk about that some in weeks to come. But these elements always need to be present. Jesus died for our sins according to Scripture and rose again. Repent and believe. One final thought is that we just need to start. In the end, an evangelistic lifestyle requires action, not intention. If we pray, there will be opportunities this week for us to have spiritual conversations with people. Let's pray, and when those opportunities arrive, let's take advantage of them to the best of our abilities. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you tonight. You are great and awesome. You are worthy of our praise and worthy of our devotion. Give us opportunities this week to talk to people about Jesus. Give us opportunities this week to share the gospel with others. Help us, Lord, to be confident. Help us to be bold. Let us know that the gospel, it is the power of God and the salvation for all who would believe. Father, give us souls for our labor. As we do hard work, let us do the hallelujah work and get to lead people that we love and care about, people that we have relationships with, lead them to You and see their lives changed by the grace and the goodness of Jesus Christ. We ask this in His mighty name. Amen.